morning, good yom tif, everyone. Today is the 13th of Tammuz, 48 hours of redemption. And uh, we are going to conclude today the seventh chapter in Yuma, Hashem's help, and begin the final, last chapter, the eighth chapter. So, continue, we left off. Yuma 72b, second line from the bottom. So we learn, Abdimi said that the priest was anointed to address the Jewish people when he went to battle. It's called Kayan Meshuach Muhammad. So when he does the service in the temple, he wears the eight garments. And he drives it from reverse. It says that the garments of Aaron should be to Aaron and the sons afterward, after him. Obviously the sons come after the father. Why does it say after? After means it comes to add that another Kayan, who's, who's like secondary, someone who's after secondary to the main Kayan, which is the Kayan Mashuach Muhammad, in a way he's also like a high priest, but just for war. And therefore the Torah is saying that he also, when he does the service, should put on the eight garments. He can have two kainim doing the eight garments at the same time. The kain gadol, the kain mashuach Muhammad. Okay, so that's where we left off. Master of other but of other, but I have a question. As the other others say, kedi as we learn the brai say, yo, halal we think, I would think that it's inherited the position of mashuach Muhammad, the position of the priest who's, who's appointed for the war is uh, inherited by, by his sons. Just like the, the position of the high priest is inherited by his son. He's the first in line. Because huh. it says the high priest and Ban of Achra of his son after him. So Tamil that's what he says. Seven days. The Koyim who comes after him, who replaces him, his replacement from his sons, that will come to the Oyel Mayed, enter into the Oyel Mayed. In other words, enter into the into the Holy of Holies. Me, the only someone who's worthy of entering into the Holy of Holies. Which Kayan Gadol is, uh, uh, which Kayan is uh, worthy of entering the Holy of Holies? Only the Kayan Gadol, not the Meshuach Melchama, not the one who was appointed for the war. He may be wearing eight garments. But but um, no, he's not he's not allowed into the holy of holies. So only the high priest allowed into the holy of holies. The Torah says that his children replace his son replaces. But if you miss, if you're gonna say, if you're gonna say like Rav other Ravas Torahs, I'm sorry, like like Rav Dimi Torahs that that even the Kayan Meshulam Mechama wears all eight garments. If he wears all eight garments. Then he is qualified to do the service on Yom Kippur. He is qualified to go into the Holy of Holies. Because the Torah says, who is allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies? He who is anointed, or, or he wears the eight garments. By wearing the eight garments, he becomes like a high priest, the status of a high priest. So therefore, why don't we say that his children inherit him? His son should be the first in line to inherit the position of a Kayim is correct. He is worthy. He is qualified. This is what this is what the Brayson means. No, Rabdimi is correct. Of course, Kaimashu uh, Muhammad does wear the eight garments when he does the service. Nevertheless, his son does not stand in line to inherit him automatically. And this is what the Brayson means. This is what he's saying. 
his being anointed, his being anointed in this position, his being appointed in this position was mainly to do the service on Yom Kippur to enter the Holy of Holies. To exclude this one, his appointment, his designation was to lead the Jewish people in battle, to, uh, to inspire them, to, to encourage them, to give that speech when they're standing in the border. But that's his main designation. But the Titus says that he wears eight garments. But his main designation wasn't for Yom Kippur. That's not his main designation. His main designation was for war. Yeah. And that's why only the Solomon's main designation was to do the service, to be the high priest, even though technically he's qualified to enter the Kayim Ashok Muhammad, but only the one whose designated entire designation was for that purpose. Only him does the Titus say that his son automatically stands in line to inherit his position. Uh-huh. But the Kayim Ashok Muhammad doesn't inherit the position. You know, a big uh, comedian once said, Why is it that rabbis, their children, inherit them? Other kings, the children, the comedian. You don't find that the children of comedians, that the children automatically take their place. He says, apparently, to be a comedian, you have to have real talent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mesri, we learned. I'll ask you a question. We learned the Brayzah, one was appointed to lead, uh, to, to be the Kayan in the battle, the high priest in the battle, and Meshamish, he can't do the service in the temple, because he can't wear the four garments, because he's elevated. You can't demote him. Once he's elevated to that position to lead the Jewish people, you can't demote him to, be, to act like a regular Kayan. On the other hand, he can't put on the eight garments, because he's not the high priest. He can't go into the Holy of Holies. So you're stuck. So you're stuck in neutral. You can't. You can't do anything. So this this clearly contradicts Rabdimi. Rabdimi was an amayda. Here we have a brayse. Tana says clearly that the kaim Meshul Muhammad does not wear the eight guns. Samalei Abayas. Abayas said Elazar Mashvus ways. So you, you, are you saying that he's like a, a zod? He's less than a regular kaim. You're completely demoting him. What, what are you are you saying? He's less. He's like an Israelite. He can't do any service. He's no longer allowed to do any service. Ella, The reason is really he's like a kohen gadol. Really, Rabdimi is correct. Really, he could do the service, and he has the status of a high priest. And really, he should be wearing eight garments. The reason we don't allow him to put on the eight garments is mishum eva, because of jealousy. Biblically, Rabdimi is correct. Rabdimi's drash from the verse is correct, but the rabbinically, the rabbi said we for, we, for, we forbid him to do work because because the, the high priest will get jealous. You can imagine there's another another president running around wearing eight garments and coin had it. He should just wear four garments like a regular coin. That that's not either an option. You can only go up. You can't go down. You can't demote him. He was elevated to such a status. He was appointed the leader and, uh, and addressing the whole Jewish, the whole Jew, the whole army. And all of a sudden, now you're going to treat him like a regular commoner, commoner kohen, right? He becomes rabbi emeritus. He becomes emeritus exactly. Honorary. I'm late about it, but I'm late up. I tend to let less late up. But there is a Tana that doesn't, doesn't hold the wave of a Lekha Mashamah. 
He doesn't hold the Veda. I'll bring you a Tana who doesn't hold of his reason of jealousy, and nevertheless he says that he can't do the service in the temple. What are the differences between the high priest and the regular priest, the common priest, Par, Koyin, Mashiach? Par, Koyin, Mashiach. Only, only the Koyin, the Koyin Godel, who's anointed with the oil, only he brings a bull. If he does, a sin. If he instructs himself, he guides himself, and he had, he he makes renders a verdict for himself that something is okay, and it turns out he was wrong. Mm-hmm. So, in, not like a regular Jew brings a regular kohen, like any other Jew would bring either a, a female sheep, a female goat, as a, a sin offering. His sin offering has to be a bull. Mm-hmm. Like a parabah, call a mitzvah. If the Jewish community, if the high pre, if the high court made an erroneous judgment, and the Jewish people followed, so again, so the same way, just like the community brings a bull, the high priest has to bring a bull. Another distinction is a pariyemakipurim. Only the high priest brings a bull, a sin offering on Yom Kippur, a special sin offering. And Vasiris Eifer, the daily, the tenth of the Eifer, the daily, uh, the daily uh, offering he has to bring from flour, Mitzchabitin, he has to bring half in the morning, half in the afternoon. So only, the, only the high priest has to bring it. Not a regular priest. Only, the regular priest only brings it the day that he inaugurates his service in the temple. The high priest has this inauguration every day. Another difference is the high priest, when he's in the morning, doesn't open, doesn't reveal his hair, and he doesn't tear his clothes. He's not allowed to tear his clothes. The bottom. And the hem and the bottom, there he can tear, he can do kriya. But he can't do kriya like everyone else, rip your clothing on top. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but a regular kayan, a kamagayan, a mailo, he tears regularly like everyone else on the top of the garment. Another distinction between the high priest and the regular priest, I mean, the high priest is not, is not allowed to contaminate himself even to his close relatives, his mother, his father, his brother, his sister, his son, and daughter. A regular priest, even though he's not allowed to become contaminated with a corpse, the Torah says, makes an exception. For his immediate family, his wife, his mother, his father, his brother, his sister, his son and daughter, is allowed. Well, the high priest has to marry a virgin. He's not allowed to. He's not allowed to, not only is he not allowed to marry a widow, he's not allowed to even have been intimate with her without marriage. Only when the high priest dies, if so, and kills someone unintentionally, we send them to the cities of refuge until the high priest dies. Uh-huh. Then he's free. It's only when the high priest dies, not a regular priest. 
Only the high priest is allowed to offer a sacrifice even when someone just died in him the same day someone died. So his heart is all broken and he's in mourning so a regular kind is not allowed to do the service. The high priest is allowed to... But he's not allowed to eat from the sacrifice. He's allowed to do the sacrifice and it's a qualified sacrifice, it's a cultural sacrifice, but he's not allowed to eat from it because he's only allowed to eat and enjoy. Of course, his heart is, is broken. He just lost the love one. Yeah, he was right, exactly. He was allowed to offer but not eat from it. That's why he burned it. He doesn't divide equally with all the, all the other kainim would divide equally amongst themselves. He doesn't chalik with everyone. She takes a portion. Mm-hmm. No, the one, the, the kachim that he's oinen, he doesn't take a portion. He doesn't he leave it for the other kainim. He's not allowed to eat from it, he doesn't get a portion of it. Let, leave it for the other kainim to eat. And in, but in general, when the parts of the, of the, that he is allowed to eat from, he's the first one off the bat. He gets the first one, first choice, the first pick. All year, whatever he wants, even though there's a set aside designated kainim for that day, for that week, he can say, I'm sorry, I'm doing the service today. It's his choice, his option. He is option number one. And he wears all eight garments. And he's exempt. And he's exempt from from the impurity um, of the temple. If he enters the temple impure, if he eats the sacred sacrifice, is impure. Uh-huh. He's unique. A regular kohen is obligated, but the high priest is exempt. We said, and also we said earlier, he can't, he can't let his hair grow. And a, a mourner is to let his hair grow. A high priest is not allowed to. The only one is allowed to do the service in Yom Kippur is only the high priest. And all of these things that we just itemized is true also with a high priest who's just designated and appointed just by wearing the eight garments. When they lost, when they hid the oil, the special oil that Moshe Rabbeinu made, that was called a Koyin Mashua, a Koyin who's, who's, who's uh, anointed with the oil. But then Yeshua, King Yeshua, 30 years before the destruction of the first temple, hid the oil together with the ark. They no, no longer had the oil. So how did the high priest become designated as a high priest? Just by, by wearing the eight garments. Mm-hmm. So, but all of, the moment he wore the eight garments, all of these things that we itemized apply to him. The, the exception is, This that the Titus says, that if he instructs and guides himself to do something, it turns out it's a sin. Instead of bringing a regular sin offering, which is a female goat, a female sheep, like anyone else, like any other Kayan, any other Jew, he has to bring a bull. The same sacrifice, atonement, that the Jewish people have to bring if they followed an erroneous ruling of the, high, the Jewish Supreme Court. That's only true with a high priest who is anointed with the oil. Not a high priest that just became a high priest just by, by wearing the eight garments. 
And all of these laws apply to a high priest who was demoted. Let's say they found a defect in him and they appointed another high priest. And then after afterwards, afterwards he, he was restored. So the one who acted, the deputy who filled in, the deputy high priest who filled in the shoes and acted as a high priest, it's a middle of Yom Kippur. He had a psul, he had a tumma, he had a keri, something happened. So he was disqualified. So someone else stepped into his shoes and became a high priest for a day. But then the moment he's restored, what happens to this high priest who the deputy was acted as a high priest for a, for a minute, for a day, or a few days, however long? So all these laws apply to him. Once you're a high priest for a moment, all these laws of priest, of high priesthood apply to you. Chut, the exception is, the only one who brings a bull on Yom Kippur, a private bull, an atonement is only the active high priest, who's a high priest today, not the one who, the ex-president, the ex-high priest. And also the obligation to bring a mincha every day, a tenth of an eifa every day, half in the morning, half in the afternoon, that only applies to the active high priest, not the ex-high priest. The All of these laws don't apply to the one who was anointed for the battle, <laughs> you know, to address the Jewish people before they go to battle. Chut, with the exception, only the five things that are spelled out in the parish that do apply to him. If he's a morning, he's not allowed to let his hair grow. He has to give himself a hair. He has to cut his hair. He's not allowed to do Kriya the regular way above. You can see it. It's visible. Only the hem of his clothes and the bottom. Just like the high priest, he's not allowed to contaminate himself even to his close relatives, his wife, his parents, his brother, sister, his son and daughter. He's only allowed to marry a virgin. He's not allowed to marry and not even have relations, be intimate without marrying a, a widow. And according to Rabbi Huda, also he's like the high priest. That if he dies, the one who killed unintentionally and was sent to the city of refuge is free to go home. This the rabbis argue with Rabbi Huda and they say, "Ena No, only the high priest himself, not. The Meshuach Muhammad, he does not return the one who is in exile. Right, so those things, the parsha of mourning, there we learn now the Taita is coming to add not only the act, the high priest, but also the one of Meshuach Muhammad, also all these prohibitions about mourning also apply to him. And and also who he has to marry, who he's allowed to marry, who he's allowed to be intimate. But he's not allowed to offer a sacrifice when he's an Oynan, while he's in mourning. According to Rabbi Yehuda, even he even frees the one who's in the city of a refuge. So what do we see from here? 
we see that this Tana doesn't agree, doesn't hold of the concept that the high priest will be jealous. Right. He's equal to him in stature regarding these things. And nevertheless, and nevertheless, he says like a retired Kohen Gadol. No, no, no. I'm talking about the one Meshur of Muhammad. He says, what do we see from here? He says that the retired Kohen Gadol does wear the eight garments. He says everything, everything, including the eight garments. The only difference is that the retired Kohen Gadol, the ex Kohen Gadol, doesn't do the bull and on Yom Kippur and, and, and their city safe. So why? How could you have two Kohenim running around the Beis Amigdash with eight garments? The high priest would be jealous. So this Tana doesn't hold it. He's not worried about jealousy. It's not a reason to deprive him of doing the service. And nevertheless, he says that the Kohen was anointed. The one who was anointed for the war, for the battle, he's not allowed to wear the eight garments. The only thing he's similar to the high priest is about the mourning and about who's he allowed to marry. But he can't. He doesn't wear the eight garments. Mm-hmm. So if you're not worried about jealousy, and Abdimi says that he learns out from the Pasuk that he should be wearing the eight garments, here we see that, that even biblically you don't wear the eight garments. There's no rabbinic reason not to wear the eight garments. So it means biblically you don't wear the eight garments. So, we, so this contradicts Abdimi. Mother answers. He less lay Eva with the kavos. The zutimine isle. He's not jealous. Really, the Brayse does hold of the reason of Eva. We said really, that Timmy is correct. That biblically, the Wokayim Meshul Hamacham is also allowed to wear the eight garments. The reason we don't let him do it is because the Kayan God will be jealous. Why is he jealous of the Kayan Meshurah Muhammad? Why isn't he jealous of the retired Kayan God? Because the retired Kayan God is his equal. He served on Yom Kippur, he served as his equal, he served as the high priest. So he's not jealous if he's walking around with the eight garments. But someone who's lesser than him, a lesser status than him, that, that he will be jealous of. And that's why we don't allow him to wear the eight garments. Even though biblically he's allowed to wear the eight garments. Hmm. You understand what he says? He less lay with the kavos, someone equal to him. But the zutmine, isle isle. He does hold the name. Tesis asks. The Gemara says, "What if a high priest kills someone by mistake?" Or if you kill the high priest by mistake, or a high priest killed someone by mistake, and you have to send them to the city of refuge, he never leaves the city of refuge. Why? Because there was no high priest when he was sentenced to go to the city of refuge. There was no high priest. Only the high priest that was there, present when he was sentenced to go to the city of refuge. So when he dies, that's when the person is freed from the city of refuge and go back home. But if the high priest himself is the one who killed someone, so when he was, so th- there's no one to free him. 
Or someone killed the high priest, and there's no high priest when he was sentenced to the city of refuge. The killer was sentenced to the city wait a minute, we just said over here that the resigned Kayan Gadol, the ex Kayan Gadol, he's like the Kayan Gadol. And he can free the person who, is, who killed unintentionally. So even if the high priest himself killed someone, he should go free when the, when the ex Kayan Gadol dies. Or if someone kills the Kayan Gadol, he should go free when the ex Kayan Gadol. According to Rabbi Yehuda, even when the Kayan Mashruch Muhammad dies, what's the big problem? The Kayan Gadol. There was no Kayan Gadol. Okay, but you have. This answer is one answer simply that we're talking about in the case. You're right, but we're talking about in the case when there was no, there was no battle and there was no Kayan Mashruch Muhammad. There was no ex Kayan Gadol. It's not always. It's only in case if the deputy takes over, if it happens. Right. We're talking about a case where there was only a Kayan Gadol. Or Tesis one says, no, maybe the Kayan Gadol is the primary one. He is the primary. We follow the high priest, not the secondary, you know, the resigned Kayan Gadol or the Kayan Mashruh. And therefore, since there was no Kayan Gadol present, or if the Kayan Gadol himself killed someone unintentionally, therefore, it doesn't help him. You don't free him when the resigned Kayan Gadol or the ex Kayan Gadol dies. Or the Kayim of Muhammad And when the Gemara says over here, right. here when we say, here when we say that the the uh, you you free the killer from the city of refuge when the the resigned Kayim Gadol, the ex Kayim Gadol, the Kayim of Muhammad dies, we're talking about. Let's say there was no Kayim Gadol when he died. When he died, the Kayim Gadol there was no Kayim Gadol. All you had was the, the resign, the ex Kohen Gadol, or you had. So therefore, then, then you follow them. Anyway, interesting take, interesting discussion. Exactly, Gemara Vait. Yosef Rabavur, Rabavur, Sathu Kamal, Allah Shmaitz, and Shmaitz, and Shmaitz, he repeated this whole story that we just learned in the name of Rabbi Echno. Adrino, Rabbi Amir, Rabbi Asi, Lafayah. So they, they turned their face away. In other words, in their opinion, Rabbi Echno never said this. Mm-hmm. Earlier we learned this in the name of Rabbi Dimi. They said it in the name of Rabbi Echno. They turned their face, no, this, you're not, this is not Rabbi Echno. Rabbi Echno never said it. He could have another say, but Abba. But Abba said this in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, that the Meshruach Muhammad wears all eight garments. He says, no, it's wrong. They didn't, Rabbi Yechanan never said it. Maslow, Rabbi Yechanan, question. If he said that Rabbi Vua said in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, we can understand why Rabbi Amir Rabbi turned their face away. Because Rabavu was a very important, significant figure. He was very close to the house of the king of the Kaiser, Caesar. Ella, according to the second version, they should say him openly. They didn't want to contradict him. If it was Rabavu who was saying it in the name of Rabbi Echlan, even though they disagreed, so he did it politely. They just turned their face away. To show they're not happy, disagree with his statement. Rabbi Yechon never said this. It was Rabbi Dimi who said it. But they didn't want to contradict him in public. He's a very special person, a very significant mm-hmm. person. It's not nice to humiliate him and to contradict him in public. But if, if it was Rabbi Abba, they should have told him openly. Rabbi Yechon don't have to treat him any special. They can tell him openly, you're making a mistake. Rabbi Yechon never said it. So therefore, the first version is correct. 
It says when they asked him, when they were to ask him, like the oracle, to the king, should you go to battle? Shouldn't you go to battle? That's when he put on the eight garments. <coughs> In other words, we didn't say, Rabdimi never said that the Koyan Mashroch Muhammad wears the eight garments when he does the service in the temple. That's not so. Only the high priest wears the eight garments when he does the service in the temple. And the, and the resigned high priest, the ex-high priest. Not the Koyan Mashroch Muhammad. When does the Koyan Mashroch Muhammad put on the, uh, the eight garments? If you have to ask from the oracle, you have to ask from the Oracle. The king has to ask, should I go to war? Shouldn't I go to war? And he's the Koyan rep who's been designated for war. So then he would put on all eight garments and the king would ask him. We learned the Braise to support what Rabbi said. The garments that the Kayin Gadol does the service in the temple, the Kayin Meshach Muhammad would wear it to ask. So, so, so they can ask him, they can ask him whether the service of the Rabbis How did they ask the Rabbis? I'll show you was facing. One that was asked, the high priest, the one that was asked, he was facing the Shrim Hashem. He was facing the Urim Vitum, which had Hashem's name in it. The one who asked would ask, Should I chase after this, this uh, division of the enemy army? And the one who was asked would say, This is what Hashem said. Go up and you will be successful. Hmm. It doesn't have to say, It doesn't have to say, This is what Hashem says. It's not like a prophecy. Asking the oracle is not the same as prophecy. All he has to say is, Go up. And uh, you will be uh, successful. In Shreil and Bekoil, you don't ask out loud. Him himself. No one else can hear it. Only he can hear it. But he doesn't only think, think a thought. You have to ask. You can't just think your question. On the other hand, you have to be quiet, but you don't think either. So you have to say it. So what? How do you do it? Like She spoke, but she whispered, like very quietly. So it's like in a whisper that no one can hear. So you have to verbally ask the question, but you have to say it in a whisper. Then he says in Shnei, Shnei Devarim Kechad, you can't ask two things together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you do ask, we only answer, you only get an answer on one of them. You're only going to answer on the first question. David asked two questions. Are the Balikila going to hand me over to Shaul? 
Shaul was looking for David. He wanted to kill him. Are they going to hand me over? It was one question. Another question he asked, I Shaul. Is Shaul going to come down to chase after him? And they only answered him on, on, on one of them. Yehud Hashem, Yehud. The Gemara asked, this contradicts what you just said. You said he's only going to answer one, or he's only going to answer the first question. You're bringing a proof from David when they answered the second question. Yes, he only answered one, but he answered the second question. Because David asked out of order. First he should have asked, is Shaul coming down at all? And if he is coming down, are they going to hand me over to him? Because he was in hiding. So they asked him on the first proper question, on the order. The first question means the proper order. Is it like a Seder? And once David realized that he asked out of order and they answered him in the proper order, he went and asked in the proper order. says, are they going to are they going to hand me up now that Hashem answered in the proper order that the shoal is going to go down now we ask the next question the follow up question now that he's coming down are the people of Kila going to hand me over and reveal my secret hiding place Hashem says yes they will they're going to hand you over to the king If they needed an answer for two questions, it was an emergency, and you don't have time to wait to ask one and then wait for the other one, then Hashem would answer, they would get an answer to both questions. David asked Hashem to say, Should I chase after the enemy? Will I reach it? So he asked both questions together simultaneously. Chase after the enemy. You're going you're to reach them. And you're going to save. You're going to save the, the, the captives and all the loot that they took. This is a conversation between the Kohen Gadol and... Yeah, yeah, the king asked through the Kohen Gadol. He asked the oracle. And that was the answer they got from the oracle. Then he says, Even though a decree of a prophet could change, it's not set in stone. But the decree of Urmutumim does never, never change. Remember, says, Like the law. Once the law, once the judge, the judges pass a law, he can't change it. A Navi can give a bad decree. Like Yoyna said, Yoyna told the people of Nineveh, after of Yom Kippur, the city Nineveh Nepechus. Hashem is going to destroy the city. Yeah. But then it didn't happen. Why? Because the people did Shuvah, they repented. A bad, when a Navi says something bad is going to happen, it can change. The people take it to heart and do Shuvah. But once the Urim Betumim says something, it's cut, there's nothing you can do. You can't retract it, you can't retrieve it, it's done. 
Why is it called Urim Betumim? Okay, very good, very good. Phil is referring to, it says when Eli, when Chana was praying, he accused her of being a Shikaira, drunk. So the Vilna Goyen explains because the Urim Betumim would light up, the letters would light up. That's how they got the answer, the letters would light up. So the letters, Shin, Chaf, Reish, He lit up. So he read it, he had to put the letters together. So he put it together, she's drunk. So she says, no, the letters are saying, on the contrary, it's the same letters. You have to put them together that I'm a kosher woman. <laughs> Why they Because they illuminate the words. They explain their words. Because it concludes the words, it finishes, it makes sure it happens. It doesn't go back. It's going to carry it out all the until the end. In Taimar, if you can ask, give us Binyamin, the Malayishlim. The valley of Binyamin, the Urim Betumim words did not come true. Because the Urim Betumim said, in two days, you're going to go up, and at the end they, they fell in battle. So the Urim Betumim words didn't come true. They didn't ask the Urim Betumim. The Urim Betumim didn't tell them who's going to win. The Urim Betumim didn't tell them in two days you're going to go and be successful. He says, go. Go and battle. Maybe to lose. <laughs> All Urim Betumim said, go to battle. They thought to go to battle to win. No, they went to battle and they lost. They were defeated. The Jewish people were defeated when they fought Binyamin, the civil war. In the beginning, the first two days, they, they were defeated. So the Urim Betumim never lied. The Urim Betumim just says, go to battle. To be defeated. <laughs> but at the end they asked clearly, are we going to go to, should we go to battle? Are we going to succeed? Then the Urim Betumim said, you will succeed. Spelled it out. Tomorrow I'm going to give them in your hands. Next time you're going to, you're going to succeed. Lemmer says, Pinchas. Ben Allah, Ben Aranaka, Oymid Lafanov, Biyama Mehem. Pinchas was the high priest then. Lemmer, and they're saying, Ha'isabit, Losses, Lumacham, and Bene Binyam, and Achi, should we go out to battle? Should we continue to go to battle? Even though we fell, the first battles were a disaster, we lost. Should we continue with the civil war and go to battle with our Binyam and our brother? Maybe we should stop. Hashem says, Alu, go up, Kimacha, tomorrow at Nenu Biyotram, and deliver them in your hands. Kate said, Nas is how would it work? Rabbi Yechonam, a belt. It would stick out. The letters would like, would like pop out. Shlokashem, Shlokashem, Mitzdarfus. The letters would join each other. Join each other. 
In other words, the letters would stand out, would light up. The letters, like the letters Alei, so the Ayin from Shimon, the Lamed from Levi, the He from Yehuda. Shlaka says more so. The letters would actually move and move next to each other to read a sentence. Uh, there is no Tzadik. In the names of the tribes, in the breastplate, there is no Tzadik. You have the names of the patriarchs. You have the tzaddik of Yitzchak. There's no test. The tribes, there's no test. The, the, the test from sin. You see, they didn't sin. There was no test. It says at the end, Shifte Yeshurun. The tribes of Yeshurun. There's another name for Yaakov. So Shifte, you have the test. Mace will ask you a question. We have learned the Brahis called Koyan, Shaylim Dabu Ruha Kreit, Shkin Shaylim, Love, and Shaylim by any Koyan who doesn't have the divine inspiration and the Shkina doesn't rest on him. You don't ask him because how is he going to get the answer? Shreeshol, Tzaddik, Valsalayt, Tzaddik, as. The times of King David, and he got an answer. Of Yosef, they asked and he didn't get an answer. Remember, it says, "Vayal of Yosef got him." Kolam. The first thing we said is, you know, when does it lose its seat status? It says that of Yosef asked, and therefore he was removed from the high priest. It was a sign that he's not worthy of being a high priest. It says, "Vayal of Yosef, he was removed from being a high priest." I think Kolam. So in other words, you, if you're telling me that just the letters would light up, especially according to the Shlokish, the letters would come together, why do we have to have Ruach HaKadosh? Why do you have to have divine inspiration? Anyone could read it. You don't need to be a special, uh, special person. But answer, see, you have a Messiah Badayim. The Kayin would help. In other words, when would the letters light up? And according to the Shlokish, when would the letters move and form a sentence? Only if the Kayin Gadol was worthy. Then the, then the Urim Atumim responded. But if not, not. Uh, who's allowed to ask from the Urim Atumim? Only a king. How do we know this? Or, or someone that the nation needs. It says in the Apostle, If Neil Lazar HaKayin, Yamein, it says that you should stand in front of Allah the high priest and ask him so who? who? this is the king first to the king he's talking about Yeshua Yeshua is like a king wow. so Allah should stand only the king like Allah like a Yeshua Moshe had the status of a king With the power of the Torah they were like kings so only they are going to stand up. And also the Chobane Yisraelite, which refers to the Mashruach Muhammad, because everyone is together with him. He's leading the Jewish people in battle. The Chalei, there's a Sanhedrin of the Jewish Supreme Court. So anyone that the entire Jewish people need. So he's allowed to ask from the Oracle. Mazel Tov, We finish, conclude the seventh chapter, and now we begin the eighth and final chapter. Till now we covered the service of Yom Kippur in the temple. Now we're going to cover the laws of Yom Kippur that are applicable even today when there is no temple. The laws of fasting, all the laws of Yom Kippur. So let's begin.
the eighth and final chapter. is forbidden to eat, to drink, to bathe, to anoint himself, and to wear shoes, leather shoes, being intimate with your wife. Melech and the king Bakala and the bride, they have permission, they're allowed to wash their face. Only the king and the bride. She has to be pretty for her husband. <laughs> and the king always has to be in, in a special. Machaya and the uh, the midwife, Tindal's aside. She's allowed to wear shoes. Mason, the rabbi is forbid. She's not allowed. Even though it's hard for her, it's cold. I'm saying, if someone is giving birth, a woman is giving birth, is allowed to wear shoes. She can get featured and be cold. And the rabbis disagree. She's not allowed to wear shoes. There's no special dispensation for the for the mother who's giving birth. Whoever eats like a thick, juicy date. Who eats like the amount of a date together with the, with the kernel in its center? Yeah. Then your life gets cut off. That's the amount you're not allowed to eat in Yom Kippur. And if you do, you violate. You eat that amount of food, not regularly. Regularly, it's like a kezayis, an olive. Yeah. Whatever the Torah says, don't eat, meaning a kezayis. Or you should eat. It's a kezayis, an olive. Here it's much more than that. It's a, it's a date, a thick, juicy date, together with the with the with the with the kernel. So if you eat that amount, on Yom Kippur, your life gets cut off. That's the prohibition, biblical prohibition of eating. And if you drink a cheekful amount of liquid, it's a cheekful. Usually, whenever it says now to drink, it's a devious. But here, it's a cheekful. Then your life gets cut off. Any food adds up to this amount. It doesn't have to be one type of food. If you eat a little of that, a little of that, but together it makes up the amount of the date, you violated Yom Kippur and your life gets cut off. And all drinks, all liquids, it doesn't have to be one type of drink. But eating and drinking don't add up, don't combine. So you have to either eat an amount of a, a juicy date together with its uh, a kernel, and if you eat that full amount, you get cut. So you have to drink a full amount of drinking of that liquid. That's the mission. Doctor also What do you mean it's forbidden? It's not just forbidden. Also bachila. life gets cut off. You lose your life. Why does the mission say also It's forbidden. Only forbidden. The mission is coming to say because even less than an amount. If you eat the, the full amount, or you drink the full amount, and your life gets cut off. But even less than that, it's usur. You're not allowed to, even though there is no penalty. But you're not allowed to even a drop. You're not allowed to even eat a drop or drink a drop. This is all well according to the opinion that a half a shit is biblically prohibited. So you can say the Mishnah means also it's biblically prohibited to eat even a little or drink a little. According to the opinion. 
that a chafzishir is allowed, biblically allowed. It's only rabbinically prohibited. Michael and Mema. Surely the mission is not saying Asr rabbinically. Asr means biblically. Now we learn, now he quotes this argument, a very famous argument. Remember this. Biblically, you're not allowed to eat it. Even though the penalty is only if you eat the proper amount. If you eat less than the amount, they don't have a penalty, but nevertheless, it's forbidden. The Shlakas disagrees. Rabbi Echna's brother in law, the Shlakas disagrees. He says, I'm a mutter Less than the amount, there's no prohibition altogether. Biblically, there's no prohibition. Rabbinically, there's a prohibition. So, how Nichol and Rabbi Echel make sense? Why is it awesome? And the Gemara, the Gemara says, what's the question? Why did Ishlakish awesome with Rabbanu? Ishlakish agrees that it's rabbinically prohibited. When the Mishnah says Asr, according to Ishlakish, it means it's rabbinically prohibited. That's the case. That's the case. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be obligated if you swear and you don't keep your oath. You shouldn't be obligated to bring a, a sacrifice. If a person doesn't keep his oath, he promised to eat and not to eat, and you don't listen, follow your oath, promise not to eat and you eat. Then you have to bring a sacrifice, special sacrifice, a sin offering, carbon like an option. If you can afford it, you bring an animal. If you can't afford it, you bring a bird. If you can't afford that, you bring flowers. So according to the Shlokas, if it's only rabbinically prohibited, so you shouldn't bring a, a sacrifice. So if a person makes a note that he's not going to eat less than the amount, Half of this year. So, he, so he's doing a mitzvah. He's listening. It's a, it's a rabbinic mitzvah. And we know you can't swear to do a mitzvah. The oath doesn't apply. If a person swears, I'm going to put on tefillin, and he doesn't fulfill the obligation, does he have to? Does he have to bring a sacrifice? No, the oath doesn't apply. You can't swear because you already sworn at Sinai. You're going to keep the mitzvah. You're going to keep the Torah. So if you swear, it doesn't it doesn't help? Do you swear to go against it, or you swear to fulfill it? It doesn't it doesn't apply. You already you already swore it. So if you're going to swear that you're not going to eat less than a half a kazai, a half a half of a shear, and let's say you violate that oath, you go ahead and eat it. How could you be obligated to bring a sacrifice? Because you violated your oath, your personal oath. Your personal oath shouldn't apply, because it's a mitzvah rabbinically to not to eat, to listen to your oath, to not to eat it. 
So you're already obligated. The Torah obligates you to listen to the rabbis. There's a positive commandment and a prohibition. You must listen to the rabbis. Every time you listen to the rabbis, you're fulfilling a, fulfilling a mitzvah. A biblical mitzvah. So therefore, you're already sworn that you're not going to eat it. So your own personal oath not to eat it doesn't apply. So why would you bring a sacrifice? And we see that we do bring a sacrifice. Allah, now we learn the Mishnah. The person makes an oath, he's not going to eat. He's not going to eat prohibited food that the Torah prohibits you. And then he went ahead, and he went ahead and ate Nevelis today for Shkatsum and Mushroom, all these prohibited foods. An animal that wasn't slaughtered properly, a kosher animal wasn't slaughtered properly, an animal that has a defect, or Shkatsum and Mushroom, animals you're not allowed to eat, crawling creatures, etc. Chayyim. You're obligated to bring a sacrifice because you violated your own personal oath. You took an oath that you're not going to eat any of these food items that the Torah prohibits you. And you violated it. But Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says you're exempt. Why do the rabbis, Rabbi Shimon is correct. Why do the rabbis say, we ask, why do the rabbis say you're obligated, you violated your personal oath? Am I? Why? Why is he obligated? You're already swore at Sinai you're going to keep the Torah. You can't have one oath on top of the other oath. So your personal oath is, is useless and means nothing. It has no, no validity. So if you violate it, you shouldn't have to bring a sacrifice for violating a personal oath. Your personal oath is never, never applicable in the first place. Hmm. So none of our oaths in general are applicable. Is that what we're saying here? No. If you swear to do something that the Torah says. He swore not to eat not kosher food. So you, you already swore at Sinai to keep the Torah, right? If you make a personal oath, I'm going to eat an apple. That, that, that's a personal oath. Of course it applies. Well, you made an oath. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat chazer. I'm not going to eat pig. I mean, it doesn't shouldn't apply. So how how do how do we explain the Mishnah? So Rabbi they answered. We're talking about a case. They answered. We're talking about a case where you added other items. Yes, you included items that the Torah prohibits, but you also added things that the Torah allows you, and you can. You can, yeah. Right. And you said that I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat an apple, and I'm not going to eat the the pig. So since it's called Isra since you already included things that are permitted, and there your personal oath applies, so you, now your personal oath also applies even to the things that, that the Torah, Torah tells you. The Shlakish the answered a different answer. He had the Moitzel Mafadish Chatzishira. says, We're talking about that he says, I'm not going to eat less than the amount that the Torah provides. So biblically, there is no prohibition. So it's only your personal oath that makes it prohibited. So when you go ahead and eat it, you violated your personal oath. You have to bring a sacrifice. According to the rabbis who say that even we're talking about a case where he he meant the entire shear. He's not gonna eat an entire the amount, the proper right. amount. Yeah, but leave it that Right now, I can go with next time. So he's saying, according, according to the rabbis, the rabbis say 
But when a person says, I'm not going to eat, what does he mean? He means a complete shift. So therefore he has to say, so the Shaka says, we're talking about a case, according to the rabbis, he spells out, the mission talking about what he spells out. I'm not going to eat less than the amount that the Torah prohibits. If he wouldn't spell it out, when he says, I'm not going to eat, we automatically assume that he means, I'm not going to eat a full, a full portion. And then, his personal oath wouldn't apply, because he already swore in the Torah you're not going to eat, so it means nothing. So even if you go ahead and violate, he didn't violate your personal oath, you violated the Torah, but you don't have to bring a sacrifice. So according to the rabbis, Eshlaka says, we're talking about Mephadish, he spells it out. I'm not going to eat even a small amount that the Torah doesn't, does not prohibit me. And, but according to Rabbi Kiva, I can say he just made an oath, I'm not going to eat. Because Rabbi Kiva says, When a person says, I'm not going to eat, he doesn't mean the full amount, a, a sheer. He means even a drop. So when he says, I'm not going to eat even a drop, which is less than the Torah prohibits, so there's no biblical prohibition. So the only reason it's prohibited is because of your personal oath. So when you go ahead and eat from it, you violated your personal oath. And you ate a little and you have to bring the sacrifice. So therefore, like the question is, why do you have to bring a sacrifice? According to you, Reish Lakers, that you say that rabbinically it's prohibited and it's usher, you're not allowed to eat from it. So it's already a mitzvah, it's already in the Torah, you're not allowed to eat. The if you're going to want to answer, we continue in 74a. If you're going to want to answer, keep in this, since biblically you are allowed to, so therefore you're allowed, maybe that's the answer, that's why. Mm-hmm. So it's taka asr, rabbinically it's prohibited, but since biblically it's allowed, therefore your personal oath does apply, and therefore if you violate your personal oath, you have to bring a sacrifice. Okay, we'll leave it over here, we'll continue tomorrow, you'll, you'll sleep in suspense, <laughs> everyone, everyone, have a wonderful